Welcome, you are listening to the Overseas Life Redesign Podcast, where you'll hear fun, relaxed, and inspirational interviews with people who are really living the dream. I'm Dawn Fleming, an attorney turned alchemist, and your host for the show, coming to you from the tropical island paradise of Isla Mujeres, Mexico. Listen to conversations with courageous souls who've stepped out of their comfort zone and designed a new way of life. They'll share their experiences, wisdom, and offer practical steps you can take to redesign your life overseas. Listen, and you'll believe if you can dream it, you can achieve it. Well, I am uh, here today with Ray Blakeney and just uh, honored that uh, you would take the time to talk with me today. Um, Really fascinating background, and I really appreciate you reaching out to me, Ray. It, It was great to hear from you. My pleasure, Don. It's a pleasure to be here. (laughs) All right. Well, so um, as I I mentioned, I usually kind of start out with, you know, what what prompted your overseas life redesign, but the reality of it is you grew up overseas, so that's called normal for you. (laughs) Um, You want to just give us a a quick little uh, background on... on, how you got to Querétaro, actually, and that'd be great. Yeah, yeah. So let's see if I can do a 30-second spiel. I was born in the Philippines. My dad was a Peace Corps volunteer in the Philippines. My mom was Peace Corps staff. She was a local country staff, so she helped train the Peace Corps volunteers in the Filipino culture and the language. That's how they met. So they got married in six weeks. Actually, I found out when I was 30 years old. So six weeks after they met, they got married. They've been married happily for 45 years now. Um, and so... At 11, I was born while they were in the Peace Corps at 11 months old. They moved to Istanbul, Turkey, where they got a job via the U.S. So we stopped in the U.S. for a few weeks. So I moved to Istanbul, Turkey when I was about 11 months old. And then I lived there for the next 15 years. So I was that probably the only Filipino-American kid in Istanbul, Turkey when I got there. Maybe there are, I'm sure there are plenty more now. Um, so I lived there for 15 years. My first language is technically Turkish because my first word was Turkish. Uh, my second word was Tagalog in the Philippines, you know, Filipino. And my third word was English. So I like to say, hey, English isn't my first language. Looks great on the SATs when I put that down. But I I'll be honest. I went to American school. My dad's American. I pretty much have been speaking English my whole life. 15 years old, I moved back to the United States, went to boarding school in New England um, because the school in Turkey only went up to 10th grade back then. So they hadn't kind of finished the high school yet. So I did my junior and senior year in New England, then went to college, got a degree in computer engineering in the U.S., worked in Silicon Valley, did some Fortune 500 companies, um, and then decided that the direction my life was taking wasn't really what I wanted it to be. I, I mentioned this a lot, but there's an inspirational quote that kind of dictates my decisions in life, and it's, if, if they were to write a book about your life, would anybody want to read it? And I remember it, when I asked myself that question at 26 years old, the answer was no definitive, absolutely, I wouldn't read my own book. It's boring. I sit in a cube every day writing code. There's nothing to it. So I quit my job, almost a six-figure job, and I joined the Peace Corps, which they paid me a few hundred dollars a month to volunteer in southern Mexico near the Guatemala border in Chiapas, where I worked for two years. And that's where I met my wife in the Peace Corps. She was the same thing. She was Peace Corps staff who trained the Mexican, trained the Peace Corps staff in Spanish and the culture. And so we met, we dated during the Peace Corps, which was against the rules, but they didn't know. Um, Follow dad's footsteps, right? Oh, exactly. No, it's exactly. We joke. So my son is nine months old now, and we joke with him. It's like, son, have fun until you're like late twenties, then just join the Peace Corps. <laughs> there, you'll find you'll find your wife there. So don't worry about it until that happens. So that's how I ended up in Mexico. So I finished the Peace Corps. My wife and I decided to, hey, why don't we try our hand at entrepreneurship? 
we started with a brick and mortar school and we picked Querétaro, Mexico, but she had some family here and we did a business analysis and there was only one school in the city of 2 million people. And I'm like, Hey, we could do better than that. So that was our first business. We launched it, became a chain of language schools around Mexico. We had one in Tulum, one in San Cristobal, one in Querétaro, which we sold all those in about 2012 when our online businesses started taking off. Gotcha. Yeah, I was actually, I'm glad you mentioned that because I was wondering how you you got to Querétaro. So it was combination family and um, market. Uh, That's exactly it. And uh, well, the Peace Corps head offices are actually based here. So I was actually from, I've been spent three months here when they were teaching me Spanish and the culture and I liked the city. Um, but we did all, we wouldn't have just moved here for that, but we did the other research and we're like, yeah, 2 million people. I, it could survive two schools, right? I mean, you know, two schools in a city of 2 million. So that's why we, we built it here and it's a great place to live. It's always one of the safest places in Mexico. Um, you know, it's one of the top two. Merida and Querétaro kind of keep competing wow. for the first one. Yeah, it's expensive by Mexico standards, but that's because the standard of living here is pretty high. Average income here is, you know, almost twenty five, thirty thousand dollars which is comparable to a lot of places in the United States. Yeah. Um, and so we have a lot of the money, you know, Costco, I use Uber Eats, I, you know, I yeah. high speed internet and watch Netflix every night. I mean, you know, it's, <laughs> I don't live a very, you know, it's, you could not that difference from the life I'd have in the U.S., except we have a cleaning lady and a cook, which in the U.S. would absolutely never, <laughs> we right. would never have that. Right, so. right. Um, awesome. Well, what a great story. Um, and I, uh, I was, uh, looking at all the different, uh, businesses that you've been involved in and, uh, um, it's, it's quite diverse, um, it is. lots, it lots is. of different things. So, um, I heard you on another, uh, interview and you were, t- you, uh, said that there were two types of entrepreneurs, visionaries and people who looked for need and, and you were in the second, uh, category Absolutely. of that. So um, can you talk about that a little bit? I mean, things have changed so much with COVID and um, I think that's really important point. And that's certainly what I encourage the people that I work with to do is, is sort of think about all the, the, the different areas that, that are, this is impacting um, and really see the opportunity. And a lot of times people get stuck. They're, they're like, oh, things are so bad. And so can you, can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. So just this little backstory to kind of give foundation to it. LiveLingua.com was built because of the swine flu and it's, you know, it's a seven figure business. So you can build successful businesses out of crises just exactly like COVID. So to elaborate on what you alluded to, yes, in my opinion, there are two types of entrepreneurs out there, the visionaries, Steve Jobs, the Richard Branson's, the guys, Elon Musk, right? Make a rocket, let's go to Mars. Um, those are the guys who get all the press that I say guys and I'm unfortunately Generally, it is guys for now due to a whole bunch of social issues, which could be a whole podcast episode we could talk about as well. Um, but and that's what everybody thinks an entrepreneur should be, right? Because that's those are the books we read and those are the inspiration we get. I'm not that kind of entrepreneur. There, I'm the kind of entrepreneur where I see a need, I look for it. And you and I were talking exactly that's how you built your business, right? You saw a need, you looked for it. Nobody's doing this, or they're not doing it very well. That's the business I'm going to build, right? It's just, I'm going to, you know, help people do what they need to do or provide a service, provide a product, whatever it is that you're kind of, you're getting into. That's the kind of entrepreneur I am. And that's kind of what served me well up until now. Another difference between those kind of entrepreneurships and again, the Elon Musk, the big boys is a lot of people get hung up on, I need the money, right? Because if I'm going to build Tesla, if I'm going to build Facebook, if I'm going to build you know, Microsoft, whew, I need to go to the bank or I need a rich dad or I need to have millions of dollars in the bank. If all you're looking to build is a lifestyle business, a business that'll help you 
move to Mexico, live on the beach, and live comfortably. I'm not saying, hey, you know, I'm 40, so I'm, I'm not looking. I, I used to do the youth hostel thing when I was in my 20s. Trust me, I want my own room now. I, I do not want to be sharing a room with three other people, half of them getting high in the corner. It was fine in my 20s. Um, I, but that is not what digital nomadism or this location independent lifestyle is anymore. It started that way. That was kind of, it was a fringe movement, but it's not anymore. There are plenty of people. I'm in a, a number of networks where there are these people and, you know, they run six, seven, eight figure businesses, but they don't have an office building anywhere. They live anywhere they want in their world. I have 150, over 150 staff members and contractors who work for me. I don't have an office anywhere. I'm registered in Boston. Um, you know, I pay taxes in Boston, but I don't, you know, I don't live in Boston. None of my staff lives in Boston. They live wherever they want. COVID did not affect us as far as the work at all. We're a language school that actually our business went up because everybody decided to learn languages Absolutely. online. And we're one of the top ones on, on the web. So it actually helped our business. But that's the beauty that online gives you. It not only gives you the flexibility to work from home, save all the time and commute, it gives you, if you are daring enough, the option of something called geo-arbitrage, which means, hey, you want to make US dollars, but want to spend Mexican pesos? I like to tell people, you want to get a 400% raise in five hours? Easy. Get on a plane, fly to Mexico. You just got a 400% raise because suddenly the money you were making in the United States goes a lot farther. If you make... $5,000 a month in New York City, you are probably, you know, on the lower end of the income spectrum. Any majors like San Francisco, DC, where my sister lives, all of it. You are having trouble paying your rent. You come to Mexico and you make $5,000, you are the 1%, right. probably higher than the 1%. I believe I think over 100,000 pesos, which is about $3,000 puts you in the 1% here. So if you make $5,000, you move to Mexico, you have a cleaning lady, you have a cook, you know, you have a driver if you feel like it. You're living in a nicer part of town. Not Beverly Hills nice, but nice. I mean, if you're, you know, you have to get used to kind of international living standards. The houses here in Arno is big. I mean, the house, you know, my wife and I looked to buy a house in the U.S. And I'm like, don't you sell anything less than 3,000 square feet? Because what are we going to do with a 4,000 square foot house? I'm looking for something that's 2,000, 2,500. You can't find it. You need to get used to that. If you're used to your 5,000 square foot McMansion, you might get a little bit of an adjustment here when you come down to Mexico, but you're still going to live in an amazing house, maybe with a view of the beach, you know, just kind of looking out there. You can eat tacos for 2 $3, you know, total. I'm not talking per taco. I'm talking, you know, you go to the taco stand and that's where your dinner will cost you. And you don't sacrifice very much. We have high-speed internet down here. I was, you know, we have Costco. We have Best Buy. We have Uber. You're not giving anything up and you're five hours from the United States. You want to go and visit family? It's easy. You know, if I lived in California, it was actually just as long for me to fly from California back to my parents in Boston as it is for me to fly from Mexico to my parents in Boston. From Mexico City to direct flight to Boston is a five-hour flight. So I'm just as close. I can have breakfast, an early breakfast in Mexico and a late lunch in the United States. It's not that big a deal. So right, right. absolutely. Long-winded answer for your question. Uh, no, no, no. That's okay. No, actually, my last podcast uh, guest is a single mom that lives um, in um, Michoacan. Uh, oh, I love Michoacan. Beautiful and, uh, Yeah, Beautiful. three three girls, and she has a staff of four. That's it. And she said, actually, I titled it uh, Single Mom Lives Like a Millionaire. Um, That's it. Because she, and in Mexico, it's normal. I mean, you know, in the U.S., if you have a maid, like full, not somebody who comes for an hour, which, you know, some people can do, but somebody comes full time. In the U.S., that's like Rockefeller. I mean, a cook? Oof, forget about it. But in Mexico, that's just kind of a middle, middle upper class lifestyle. Nobody will... You should, you know, there, there are some safety concerns in Mexico, nothing major, but, you know, don't run around the street, throw $100 bills in the air. I mean, yeah. you know, don't do that in the U.S. either. But right. 
anyway. This is not going to make you stick out. I mean, you, having a cook and a maid is not going to be like, oh, that guy's rich because he has a maid and a cook. No, that's just what a lot of people in Mexico do. Nobody will think twice about it. So you don't have to feel self-conscious about doing something like that. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a, a big part of, of uh, the folks that I uh, work with. Um, what they're, they're looking at is really up, up leveling their quality of life. Um, by and really dramatically cutting their expenses, and and a lot of folks are really uh, shocked um, at the at, at the savings. So I'm glad you brought that up. So um, let me ask you. So we we were chatting uh, before, and and uh, I said, you know, gosh, you've done all these uh, entrepreneurial adventures uh, that have done very well. Um, but a lot of our, the folks I deal with have never been in business before. And you said, well, I, was, I wasn't an entrepreneur until I, I was. So um, was it. there a mind shift required for that? Or, or how, how did that come about? Yeah, so I'm sure there was, but it wasn't a conscious effort. You know, it wasn't like, hey, I, I'm going to shift my mind and become an entrepreneur. It wasn't that kind of journey. It wasn't a switch. Um, I like to joke. People have asked me, are you going to write a book? And I'm like, yeah, my book would be how to build a million dollar business in a decade and nobody would buy it because nobody actually wants to hear about hard work, putting in hard work to build your business, right? The courses that sell are start your million dollar business in a week and all that kind of stuff, right? People do not want to hear the truth behind most successful entrepreneurs, which is the hard work that they put into it. So yeah, um, I'm sorry. I totally lost my train of thought there. No, it's okay. I just was wondering about the mind shift of going from like that's it, that's rally it. to being an entrepreneur. That's it. So one, I'm going to drink more coffee. And two, the mind shift that happened was so gradual that I didn't even notice. So what did I do? I was working in the US. I was a computer programmer. I wasn't really kind of that inspired with my life and wanted to make a change. So I joined the Peace Corps. Right. No, like, you know, hey, we're going to be an entrepreneur thing. Right. After the Peace Corps, it was more of my wife wanted to start a business and she always wanted to start a school. I'm like, why don't we try it now, right? So we kind of, because we didn't have kids yet, worst case scenario, I'm a computer engineer. She's a bilingual teacher. We'll get jobs. I mean, you know, we'll get good jobs back in the US. We'll be fine. Um, But over the years, the mind shift did happen. So the biggest mind shift that I found that entrepreneurs need to make is their tolerance for risk. So I'm not saying big risks because the way I start businesses is bootstrapping. I don't take a million dollars and throw into it. I mean, live lingua, seven figure business. I built it for $60. You know, that's how much it costs for a domain and hosting on Bluehost 12 years ago. That was it. That's all I did to start the business. If you had like a few thousand, that'll maybe make things a little faster, but we're not talking here about a hundred thousand, a million, nothing like that. If you have two to $3,000, that'll generally be enough for you to start a business. Ideally, maybe with a little bit of runway for living, if you're wanting to move to Mexico, so you have six months worth of income, that'll speed things up as well. Otherwise, you can do it as a side hustle, right? You've got to work your full-time job, put a few hours into it until it gets up to a certain level. But the only mind shift you have to do is that success is not going to an office every single day and getting promoted so you get a corner office in your life. That's what we've been trained since we were kids, at least speaking for myself. You go to college and after college, you get a job and you work there 40 years. That was kind of what I was taught because that's what my parents did. That's not the case anymore. I mean, you know, the whole one, it's on, it's on both sides, right? Companies aren't as loyal to their employees as they used to be. So, you know, things go bad. You're cut. I mean, unless you are the CEO doing the cutting, you are the guy, you're getting cut at that point, right? Um, but also employees are disloyal to the companies. They're sw- you know, every younger people switch every two to three years because you can get a bigger salary boost and all the rest of it. That's fine, but you want to take more control over your own destiny. And that's what kind of entrepreneurship is. 
We'll be back in a moment. Isla Mujeres is a Caribbean jewel off the coast of Cancun. Castellito del Caribe warmly invites you to enjoy our spectacular oceanfront villa located in the heart of El Centro and a short walk to Playa Norte, which is ranked one of the top 10 beaches in the world. With an ocean view of crystal clear turquoise waters overlooking both the Caribbean and Cancun city skyline, we offer a fabulous location for you to enjoy all the peace and tranquility you're looking for on vacation, while also taking in all the excitement the island has to offer, with activities either in walking distance or a golf cart day excursion away. Please visit CastelitoCaribe.com, www.castellitocaribe.com. We look forward to seeing you soon. Integrity Vacation Property Management. Trust, truth, results. From buyer's representative services to rental market analysis, staging, marketing, and full-service property management, achieving your goals is our top priority. Visit our website at www.integrityvpm.com and get our free guide, Self-Manage or Hire, a property owner's checklist of issues to consider. Contact us for a free consultation to see if we can help you maximize the return on your investments. Integrity VPM, raising the bar in vacation property management. Welcome back to the Overseas Life Redesign podcast. Thank you so much for being here, and we invite you to subscribe if you like what you hear. Don't think about it as I'm building Facebook, right? Entrepreneurship might be a one-man shop. You're using whatever skills you have right now. You're doing consulting. That's actually the first step I recommend most people do. If you want to get your feet wet, just do some, you know, a few hours of consulting online. You kind of learn the online space. You get to really figure out what people need before you start building your quote unquote product, which could be a course, a software, you know, an ebook, whatever it is, but just do consulting first. Yeah. Or I, I was, as I said, my most recent workshop, freelancing, right? You That's just, it. Yeah. That's yeah. exactly it. It'll get your feet wet. Eventually, depending on the kind of freelancing you're doing, you might actually start making enough, right? If you're doing you know, 10 hours and you bill 10 hours a week and you bill $30 an hour, that's $1,200 a month. You right. can live in Mexico comfortably for $1,200 a month, right? So that's the point where you kind of, if you're doing it as a side hustle, you get it up to that point. $1,200 in the US, yeah, that's, you know, yeah, poverty level. But it's enough for you to move to Mexico, Latin America. I recommend, like you, you know, we're... Don, you and I are biased because we live in Mexico. We love it here. But anywhere in Latin America would work. Cost of living is even lower in some parts of Latin America. But if your clients are in the United States, there's almost no, you know, there's a two or three hour time difference. Again, no, not that much different from California and Boston, for example. Yeah. And so you can continue working with your clients in the United States, but take advantage. Literally, hey, I was out on the beach surfing this morning before our meeting, as opposed to I just spent two hours in traffic in Los Angeles before our meeting, right? Which one sounds better to you? Um, so that's the kind of mind shift, shift you can you need to make. And I think it's easier these days. People are more accepting of it because of COVID. And they've seen that virtual work is real work. It used to be that virtual work, oh, that's not really working. Not really that's, working. You're yeah. not really working. Now you are really working when you do virtual work. People understand that. So I think it's a great time to take, start planning. I mean, you know, we're recording this right in the middle of COVID. So you're not jumping on a plane and moving to, you know, if you're right. from the US, you're probably, they're not going to let you in. Most countries outside of Mexico, I don't think they would let you in anywhere. Um, but start planning now. You can really take advantage of this time. You're at home a lot. 
uh, take advantage of this time to start working on it, kind of explore the possibilities. Don't be afraid to take the first step. Too many people get stuck up in analysis paralysis, you know, where they just sit there, plan, plan. They don't launch until it's perfect, but it's never perfect, so they never launch. That's right. Um, just launch it. Just launch it. I love the quote by I think it's Jack Dorsey from Twitter who says, "If you're not embarrassed by the first version of your product, you waited too long to launch it." <laughs> oh, I like that. So I'm like, just launch it. You will be embarrassed. That's the point. But take the feedback. You know, like an adult, take it and say, "Okay, that worked. That didn't make the changes. Launch it again. Take the feedback and just keep on doing that." Um, there's a book by Eric Reese called The Lean Startup. If you haven't read it, it talks about that. And it just read. The Lean Startup, that's the only business book you need to read and then just go and then figure it out as you're going. Great tip. Yeah, thank you. Um, so uh, in looking through your your uh, sort of uh, lists of, of businesses you've been involved in, it, it looks like um, mostly it's been info, uh, information-based businesses as a, or service-based businesses. That's it, info and service. Mm-hmm. Yeah, service-based um, cause that was one of the, the, the questions that comes up from time to time, uh, info based or products. Do you have a, a thought on that? Yeah. So I generally, generally like to stay in the digital space. So the services we offer live language, online language lessons via Skype, Zoom and all the rest of it. Um, we don't have products, warehousing or anything to worry about. Digital products and courses are the same thing. Courses are a lot more scalable, but you have a lot more competition when you get into that space, right? So if you have an info product, you're going against, unless you've stumbled across this niche that nobody's in, you probably have some competition in there. But the profit margin, I mean, for, you know, an ebook or a video course is 97% after PayPal takes 3% out. Um, So it's definitely something worth pursuing, but it's a little harder to get started in it. So those are the two things. Those are the next steps after services, right? So you've done... You offer your own services. So if you're looking to scale it, what what you can do is what they call productized service, which is now you have other people out. You're offering the service, but you have, let's say you're a coach, but you have your team of certified coaches. So you're not the one giving all the classes. You become a more high ticket item. You kind of move up in your pricing scale, but you have a team that works for you. For example, that's one business model for the services. Other way of scaling is what you talked about, these digital products. So the digital products are eBooks, video courses, whatever you want. You can use the platforms like Teachable, Kijabi, out there, you do not need to be a programmer for any of these. Another big stumbling block for people going online is, I need to learn to code. Well, no, and I don't. was going to call you, you, you know, out there's on There's a that. software out there called... <laughs> right? And say, hey, you're a, you're a computer. I have an advantage. It's easy for you to say, right? Right? I'm sure you've gotten that before. Yeah, but luckily, when I was starting in 2008, that was not the case. You didn't even know how to code, right? Yes. These days, there's so many tools out there. You want to launch a website? WordPress. Can you use PowerPoint and Word? You probably can use WordPress. I mean, it's that level of technical skill you need. Kajabi, teachable for courses. It's the same thing. Ebooks. Wow, that sounds fancy. Really, generally, they're just PDFs. I mean, really, it's it's a fancy word for PDFs, right? I mean, go to Word, write it, save as PDF. You're done. You have your ebook, right? So there's really not that much you need to do yourself on the technical end these days. If you do want to get more technical, go to Udemy pay $7, buy a course, and they will teach you step-by-step on how to do it. You don't even have to pay $1,000 for these courses. Or hire somebody, so, right? That's it. Yeah. Go to Upwork, you know, a place like Upwork and get somebody in India or the Philippines to do it for you for like $100, $200. It's very, very easy to do. They have all their ratings, so you know the person's good. Um, and you can kind of go up there and have, launch at least the minimum viable product for your service right off the bat so that you can launch your product. You know, you can start your business, see if it works. One other thing I like to tell you know new entrepreneurs is you should redefine failure. 
Yes. Failure, what a lot of people think of as failure in, in, in business is that this business idea didn't work. So they say, oh, I quit. I'm going to go back, get a job, whatever it was. I'm going to do something that I know. Um, redefining failure for me is failure is not when that idea didn't work. Failure is when you went back, when you go back and look for that job. If yeah. you that didn't work, you try something else. That didn't work. You try something else. You never failed because you learned. You try something else. You learned. You tried something else. Failure is the moment you give up. So just keep a go, go, keep going at it, and eventually you will be successful. I told you, I, it took six years until my wife and I started making more money than we would have made on salaries in the United States. Six years to get up to that level. We were in Mexico, so by year two we were living comfortably. I mean, you know, much less than we made in the U.S., but living comfortably. It took six years to get up there, and now it's obviously you know it accelerates after that because you pick up some skills that you're able to do it. So we've launched new businesses and it's faster. But there's no shortcut. I mean, you know, I, all these people try selling hacks, 30 minutes for this in an hour. Yeah. Anybody bought the 30 minute abs program before? Has it ever worked? Absolutely not. It doesn't work in business either. Learn the skills, show up every day, put in the work, and then you, you'll have successful. You know, Don, you mentioned you had a background in law. Imagine if somebody tried to say, hey, pass the bar in 30 minutes. Yeah, right. <laughs> you'll be kind of look at it like, what? No, that's absolutely not true. Um, and it's, yeah. So lose that mindset of, of trying to get things quickly. Just put in the work. Great, great advice. Um, absolutely couldn't agree with you more. Um, another question I have, if you, would you say you have a process that you go through when you're starting a new business? Like you talk about finding the need. Can you, um, you know, I don't, you don't need to, to, to go into great detail, but if, can you can just give an overview of the process that you use when you are analyzing sure. whether someone is, something is marketable? Mm -hmm. I like that word analyze because I am an engineer by training. So, you know, I like to tell people, a lot of people say, go with your gut. I'm like, my gut's dumb. If I went with my gut, I'd be living on the street corner in a box because my gut would never lead me to the right place. So what I do is I actually do. I have an exact process I go through to evaluate every business idea. I'd be happy to share it. Um, so the first thing is, is what we were talking about, right? You see a need. You go out there and you're like, hey, you look for something you find that's either not served or not served very well. Step number two is you use Google keyword research tools. It's free. So if you have a Gmail account, you already have this tool. Um, you just have to go and sign, it, sign into it. So you go and sign into Google keyword tools. You type in your business idea. So the example I always use is pink lawn flamingos, right? Let's just say, hey, I need a pink lawn flamingo. I went online. You're from Florida, so maybe you know, there's plenty of pink lawn flamingos there, right? So nobody's selling these online. Maybe I could sell these online, but let me see if this is really a feasible business idea for me financially. So you go on to Google Keyword Tools and you type in pink lawn flamingos. Google will tell you exactly how many people in the world or in the US, if that's your market, look for pink lawn flamingos every single month. What I do there just to calculate, and they'll give you variants of the word. So it'll be pink lawn flamingos and lawn flamingos that are pink, right? So you take all of those words and you add the numbers together. It'll say 1,000, 500, 50, 10,000, whatever it is. So you add all those numbers together and let's just say you came up with a number of 1,000. And so what I calculate is conservatively, you can sell to 1% of those. So 1,000 people look for it every single month and you're gonna sell them to 1%, so it's 10. So you calculate, I'm gonna sell 10 pink lawn flamingos every month. How much money are you gonna make off of each lawn flamingo? You need to calculate that. Okay, I can buy it in China for five bucks and I sell it for $10. So I'll make $5 off each lawn flamingo. You can do this for a service. You can do this for an ebook, whatever. It doesn't really matter at this point. And then you do the math. So I sell 10 products a month and I'm making $5 off of each one of those products. I'm making $50 a month if I build this business. Is that worth your time? For some people, maybe. 
For me, I mean, for a lot of people, I would say that, yeah, I'm not building a pink flamingo store, right? Big, big lawn flamingo store, because that's not worth my time. So I do that process for almost every single business I do. And it saves, it doesn't guarantee that your business is going to work, but it saves you all the time because I see all these people build these big online businesses without doing this. And then they only realize that, yes, they are the number one pink long flamingo store in the world and they're making all the money they could possibly make out of it. And it's $50 a month. If they had done this like two years ago when they started, they would have saved themselves two years of work to build a business that had no chance of succeeding in the first place. Mathematically, you were not going to make money off of it. But this will kind of get you past that. And then if you pass that, I say just do it. Launch your business. Your, it means there's not, not, you know, you've checked there's competitors, you've checked that there's people looking for it. And if it works, it's worth your time, you know, financially to do this business. Give it a shot. How much attention do you pay to other people who are providing pink one flamingo? Well, actually quite a bit. And that's what this, the second step is the competition. So you go online and you see who else is out there and can you reasonably do better than them? You have to kind of put ego to the side at this point because everybody thinks they can do better than everybody else kind of, you know, when you ask them. Sure. But you have to kind of look at it like that's actually a pretty good, eco, you know, lawn flamingo store. They have 500 well-written articles on their website. You're bootstrapping this, I'm assuming, you know, if you're interested sure. in it, you don't have a million dollars. If you have a million dollars, yeah, you pay writers and you could have a beautiful website and 5,000 articles on your website. But if you don't, how long is it going to take you to put 5,000 articles up to build a beautiful website, you know, that has exactly the right products with the exact right call to actions and the conversions and all that kind of stuff in place? If the competition's too much, like if there's already five stores in Google that are doing a great job, the only thing you can do at that point is compete on price and then it's a race to the bottom, right? So right. it's, you know, you'll take maybe one fifth of the market at that point. So whatever they're making, you can make a fifth of it. And then everybody starts reducing their prices and then everybody starts making a little bit less money. So that's not really a space you want to go into. The other side is obviously you go in there and the first five products are amazon.com. And then you're like, yeah, you're not going to compete against Amazon either. So you have to find these niches. And when I say niches, I mean, we're talking, you can still make a hundred half a million, a million dollars on these niches. I know that sounds a lot to people like us, but to Amazon, if I went to him, I was like, hey, Jeff, Jeff Bezos, I'm like, I have a dollar, I can, I have an idea to make you a million dollars a year. And Jeff would kind of look at you like, I wouldn't get out of bed for your idea, right? Because to him, it's nothing. Those are the level of ideas we need to look for, right? Look for the 100,000, the $200,000 a year ideas. Jeff Bezos won't touch it. Google won't touch it. Microsoft won't touch it. Right. But you can make a great living off of it if you do. You get into that space. Yeah, good point. Great advice. Wonderful. Um, okay. Well, um, I don't know how we're doing on time here. I don't want to keep you too long. Um, but I think uh, this is really important information. Like I said, I, there's just a lot of folks out there that are um, really almost being forced to look at other alternatives. Mm-hmm. Um, because of everything that's happened uh, just in the last year. And a lot of folks are just like, I don't even know where to start. And I think that is, um, is great advice. Start. That's my advice. Don't, don't worry about just, you know, it, most businesses fails, but they never start in my opinion. So just start it and then figure it out and pivot. when you figure something else out, just start. I mean, don't sit at home. What was me? I've lost businesses overnight before LiveLingua. I had to build it twice because Google did an algorithm change and it disappeared off of the. I could have sitting there. Okay, let's be honest. I spent 24 hours wallowing in misery, but afterwards I got right up again and then I started building the business again. And that's the key to succeed. Just getting back up again. And that's it. Just get up and keep working at it. Absolutely. 
Awesome. Well, is there anything that I haven't asked you that uh, you'd like to, to finish on as we wrap this up? No, I think I think we covered all the basics. Uh, if anybody has any questions, I say this all the time. Very few people actually ever take me up on it. Uh, business, online business is my sport. I love this stuff. I speak at conferences about it. Um, I could spend three days. I spent three days at conferences literally talking to people about this kind of stuff and my voice is hoarse afterwards, but I love it so much. So I'm not too active on too much social media, but I'm on Facebook. So if you guys look for Ray Blakeney on Facebook, you can find me. Uh, um, Look for a picture of somebody sword fighting. That's what I do. I do Japanese sword fighting as a hobby. So if you find any other Ray Blakeney's that are not sword fighting, that's not me. But if you find the guy with the sword fighting picture, that's me. Or you can contact me through my two primary businesses, which is LiveLingua.com. It'll go to customer support, but just email them. They'll pass it on to me. Or PodcastHawk.com, which, Don, is how I found your, uh, your podcast, which is a automatic podcast booking software that I'm building right now. It's only an alpha. It launches in January 2021. But... Um, if you actually contact the customer support, because my specialty is bootstrapping, that comes directly to me. There is no customer support. I'm the one who runs the entire business. So you just do gotta go to the contact us page there, fill it out, and I will get your email. So those are great ways to get in touch with me, and I'd love to chat with you. Awesome. Well, I am definitely interested in your uh, new podcast uh, business because that's on my radar for 2021. Nice. So um, nice. thank you for that, sharing that. I appreciate it. All right, Ray. Well, I'll... Uh, end it here. And again, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. My, my pleasure, Don. It was a pleasure to be here. This episode of the Overseas Life Redesign podcast was brought to you by our sponsors. Thanks for tuning in. Did you love this episode of the Overseas Life Redesign podcast? Then please subscribe to our show and leave us a nice review. It's very much appreciated. We invite you to visit www.overseasliferedesign.com and take the Are You Ready for an Overseas Life Relocation Readiness Quiz. We'd also love for you to become part of our OLR community on Facebook. Thank you for listening. Thank you.